Hi, I'm Dominic Cap, And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Well, today we're going to be discussing Netflix and who, Dominic, isn't discussing Netflix uh, <laughs> these days. Uh, it's an ongoing soap opera, as it were, uh, and how their recent troubles uh, may affect their standing in awards races. We don't know. We don't know where this is going to go and what the industry is ultimately going to think. But when you lose, what, 70 percent of your value in, in a short amount of time, you know, people talk and it has effects. And you're also going to hear a snippet of Dominic's conversation with Star Trek's Picard's Patrick Stewart from our Contenders television event. I might add Sir Patrick Stewart. Oh, of course. be clear about that. Knight of the Realm. Can't unfortunately, first, first Netflix. First, we're going to talk about First, Netflix. unfortunately for Netflix, which used to be almost royalty in Hollywood and being the, the, the gold standard for the past several years, the shine is off. You know, they have seen big subscriber losses, which have led to big stock losses, as Pete pointed out. It is not often you get to throw around terms like billions and billions, like Carl Sagan, but that's where this has gone down the tubes. And now we're seeing them do some layoffs. We're seeing them also cut some shows, like our Mike Fleming reported not too long ago that they had they decided to cut loose the Meghan Markle created animated series Pearl. That's, you know... There are going to be many, many more to come because they've got to consolidate. Now, on one hand, you could say, look, as the saying goes, what goes up must come down and that there is a reckoning to all things in all seasons. And there's a plateauing happen because obviously we're now seeing perhaps what is the delayed effect of a number of streamers being part of the industry and Netflix losing their monopoly, so to speak. The other side of this, which I think is a valid one, actually, is that this does give Netflix, the Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, co-CEO of Netflix, it gives them an opportunity to pull out some of the weeds. The fact is, the amount of quantity that they've had to produce over the past couple of years to keep up with subscriber churn and also to keep up with, with a global audience has less led to a decrease in quality and a rise in, at best, we'll be polite and call it mediocrity. So I think there is... There's hope at the end of this digital tunnel, but it's painful, man. When you lose all that money, it hurts. And what are we going to see at the Emmys this year where Netflix has been climbing, climbing up that mountain, leading actually DDHDO in one season, Um, you know, having this great meteoric rise in the award sphere here where just like they do at the Oscars, they really lay it on and have very, very effective and very big campaigns. How will that be affected financially with the um, downturn in their financial fortunes uh, uh, temporarily or permanently, however it works out? Uh, they're doing cuts. Dominic, well, I mean, look, I mean, the fact is, is that Lisa Tabak and the awards team have essentially had the equivalent of a blank check. I mean, they are like, they're like an endless COVID relief plan. Like there's just, there's always money to hand out. There's always... If Amazon rent this mansion, Netflix rent two mansions and build a bridge and like whatever. Well, they, they actually took over a studio soundstage uh, yeah. over a couple of seasons and had all those installations of the shows, which others totally. did too. I have to say they've been very innovative and very smart yeah. in promoting these shows and getting them out there because look, they've had results. Last season, they finally, they finally did it. 
They finally cracked the drama series race and won for the first time with the crown. They cracked the limited series where they had never won and they won with Queen's Gambit. They did movie for television, even with yep. Dolly Parton's Christmas movie. And hey man, I love that movie. Don't knock Dolly. I'm not ever going to knock Dolly, but I'm telling you that's three out of the four so-called right. uh, categories, only comedy series. Where they've never uh, won. and and this you know and and you know it may argue that Schitt's Creek was a winner because it was on Netflix. I was gonna I was gonna say I do think that Schitt's Creek was kind of a an adopted Netflix win in many I ways. I think so. Yeah. I, I think so. But so they, but there but you can get granular about that. You know you might see something interesting. You know Grace and Frankie has has just recently brought their final several se episodes of their final season, so there yeah. might be some love there. But it's, it's like a Shit's Creek where it finally gets nominated yeah. for best comedy series. It certainly deserves to. But There's it's no very question. hard, I think, when you have set a standard of, of, I don't want to say extravagance, because you and I have both moderated panels for, for Netflix FYC events over the years, and they bring in a great crowd, and they, they, they know how to talk to people, and they know how to present. And I find for myself personally working with their crews and they're like, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to do these videos with this. And can you please this? It's very, very professional and people love them. People love them. Yeah. But okay. it's, I think it's also, it, it hits a hard, sour note when you are letting people go and then you're dropping huge bucks on your award campaigns and you, a lot of your staff, because of the way Netflix compensation works, a lot of your staff have seen, their shares, which some of them take their compensation in more than their salary, they've seen a lot of that kind of hit the bricks. So I think that there's there's going to have to be a new approach for them, right? You know, they've been doing, there was this year saw the inauguration of the Netflix is a joke festival where almost everyone in comedy who's anyone, with the exception of Hannah Gatsby, who is everything in comedy, in my opinion, was, was there. Um, it's an unease. It's yeah. an unease. We don't know all the directions it's going to go and how it will affect awards races, but they certainly deserve to be there. And I hope it doesn't because they've got a lot of the quality. You mentioned like there's too much content. There's too much content in television. I've said this repeatedly over and over. I've never heard of half these networks and things, but Netflix came in and actually did, you know, a miracle turn here. Yeah, they spent big. But, you know, they've been in these things with uh, three or four nominations uh, now that there's 10 in drama series and and a comedy series. And, you know, Russian Doll is uh, on Gold Derby is their highest one this year. And Russian Doll season two is amazing. Like, you yeah. know, it's, it's so better than season that one. one. Um, you, I'm in love with season Cobra one. Cobra Kai got nominated last year when it was moved over from YouTube to Netflix, uh, just like a Shit's Creek. And suddenly, you know, it's getting Emmy attention. So, you know, Netflix is front of mind. I actually, I loved Emily in Paris. I voted for it, you know, yeah. as the critics. Oh well. I mean, look, I think, I think the comedy category is going to be hard for them this year. I think Grace yeah. and Frankie might present some advantages because, as okay. you say, and we've mentioned before on the podcast, series finales can always be attractive. You know, I, see, I think in drama, uh, again, to pick up on that same motif, Ozark might have some good good opportunities for well, finale. Again, you were talking about finales here, which is very much Squid Game in yeah. their top ranked um, uh, possible show in the world. Yeah, so Squid Game is a terrific show. 
Uh, Stranger Things is back and it's still, you know, uh, a topic of conversation. And Bridgerton got nominated last year too. That's that's very as well. They have some terrific international shows as well, like Lupin. And, uh, you know, whether that could break through, I, I don't know. Um, but in limited series, uh, you have Made, which is a wonderful show uh, produced by uh, John Wells. And great show and, with Addie McDowell, which is great. Yeah, okay. Andy McDowell and uh, Margaret Qualley. Uh, and, of course, Inventing Anna, which a lot of people talk about, too. So let's not write off Netflix, but let's just say that this is a very difficult time and it will be interesting to see how all this bad press out there about them now affect the minds of the voters out there in and analyzing these shows. Well, I also think though too, I think there's another element to it that isn't, you know, quote unquote bad press of which I guess we are we are guilty members. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's also reporting accurately, a massive loss of subscribers. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? And, and, and at their, first, their first downturn in over a decade in terms of subscribers, Predictions that they themselves admit we're going to lose more and and big share drops. But the other thing I think, too, is out there, too, is I think people smell blood in the water, which is, you know, Hollywood is all about perception, clearly. And that perception is, is that have they have they run out of steam? Have they finally got their comeuppance? And and I feel like that's going to be that's going to be a whole category unto itself for them, their awards team to have to counter. Because I think they, they, they're going to have to show people how much quality they have. And they actually have a lot. They're going to have to show people that that quality is the story behind the story of the economics of this. And that's very hard, especially when you have people like David Zasloff now on the scene. And he's like, I got some great ones here. And this is his opportunity, having now Warner Brothers Discovery and, and his plans to grow HBO Max and what have you, what have you to just really take some of these shows to town. Same thing with Apple TV, who did the big score, you know, took what everyone thought was going to be Netflix's, uh, you know, to grab. They got the Oscar with Coda, you know? Right. So that, well, that, you know, you've got this feeling like there are other people in town and they're playing hard. Yeah, and they're playing hard too. And, you know, to be fair, in the Oscar race, Netflix had some terrific films too. But you know what? You can never go against emotional effect of, of uh, movies. And it happened with Green Book versus Roma. It happened with uh, uh, Coda versus uh, The Power of the Dog. You know, it's just the way the votes go. It's certainly not a, um, uh, you know, something against that. It's just the luck of the draw, you know, and you can sometimes make too much of this streamer versus streamer thing. What we need to do is- I, I would watch that movie starring Dustin Hoffman and, and Meryl Streep, streamer versus streamer, for sure. <laughs> you know, but it, it's interesting, but it's all this all this stuff there and, you know, a correction had to come. The stock market gets corrections all the time. You know, this is happening here in, in this world now. And what's happening with Netflix uh, 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 in recent times here may start happening with the others too. I mean, oh, yeah. Peacock, you know, what's uh, this one? What HBO Max, what's Hulu? Disney, you know, and- Disney Plus, Disney Plus Disney have a real, Plus. they have a real issue of how, how much growth they can get in the pipeline. How many Star Wars series and Marvel series can you grease the wheels with? You know, you've got to get this product. Netflix has shown us that part of the business revenue of streaming is you have to have content. You know, it's not like a network where you debut everything in September and then bring a couple of shows in mid-season. They've got 
dozens of shows every Friday, which yeah. makes me wonder, just a side sidebar for a sec, it makes me wonder if they might, they're thinking about bringing in some sort of scheme with advertising, a little, little vague about how that's going to work. But I'm wondering if at some point they're thinking about cutting back the way they drop their shows. Instead of having full seasons, they do what everyone else has done, which I thought was foolish, but turns out to work out. I do believe that. I do believe that, Mr. Patton, because I just happen to have been talking to John Wells, who is the executive producer and director of uh, Made, which is their big uh, hope for limited series nominations. And it's his opinion that it's all going to contract and it's going to go back to different ways of dropping these shows. And that maybe the binging thing isn't as all that as people thought in the beginning when it was the novelty. And he thinks that it's important for word of mouth for these shows to thrive, uh, to have a different kind of distribution pattern. And he pointed out he wouldn't be shocked if even Netflix uh, joined in a different way of dropping shows or an experimenting at least in a different way. And that will be very interesting yeah. if they do. But I mean, I they have they have experimented with this a little bit. I think there was a Canadian show several years ago. They did weekly and stuff like that. But now, you know, you've got to look at it. You know, you I, I found it. I thought it was annoying at first, but I actually enjoyed it, which is drop two or three episodes with the premiere as Apple and, and Peacock and Hulu and all the Disney Plus, all of them do. And then let people gravitate. It reminds me of old school movies where you'd release a movie and you'd let you wouldn't worry about just that opening weekend box office. You'd let a ground well, you'd let support movies would catch on. It's called water cooler television, folks. That's I've said it before here, but that's what Mayor of Easttown was for me. And I waited each week. I wanted to watch it that way. The Undoing was another one I wanted to watch. And by the way, while we were talking about Disney, I wanted to say one more thing because Disney is in that uh, you know churn kind of thing where they need all this material, and they were taking Pixar, the crown jewel of Disney yeah. Studios animation, and have dumped the last three Pixar movies. On to Disney Plus, not in theaters even. Luca, terrific summer movie, uh, got nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, Turning Red, highly acclaimed movie this year. Uh, all of them went, and now we're seeing families, they say, oh, well, the family business wasn't there. Now we're seeing families going back to theaters and things, so I don't buy that as an excuse anymore. But they were doing that to bring new subscribers and try to keep them there. And everybody's got that problem. It ain't just Netflix. Netflix is front of mind right now, but look out folks, the streaming world has more to say. And speaking of which, an old friend of ours from the streaming world and from the world of syndicated television back in the day, Sir Patrick Stewart joined me as he has before at our Contenders TV event recently. Now, Sir Patrick is of course, the star of Star Trek Picard on Paramount Plus. Second season, coming back for a third and final season, the great thespian and Knight of the Realm sat down and chatted with me. It was, as always, a pleasure. And here's a bit of it for you to hear. We've missed you. It's been so long. I mean, there was a big break, obviously, for, you know, there was this little thing called a global pandemic that stopped all of us for a little while. Between season one and season two, a lot. Yeah, we we um we shut down um, in March of 2020. Um, we were not working then. Uh, season two was 
quite advanced, and we were some way off from shooting it. But we, in fact, didn't go in front of cameras again until, oh, about 15 months ago. And then we shot season two and season three back to back. So we did 20 episodes like so that. We don't want any spoilers because we re I really don't want any spoilers. I know you don't believe me because I ask you always. But season three, you're, are you done? You're almost done? And how do you feel about it? Um, we're done. Yeah. I, I mean, I hope we are done because <laughs> I, I haven't had a call for like three weeks. Unless, you know, they've been... <laughs> pulling me out or something. I don't know. But um, no, we, we wrapped more or less season three about three weeks ago. And after all this time, the original TNG, and then of course coming back, do you feel like you got to say goodbye to him properly? I do. It was um, perhaps one of the most controversial features of the entire Picard series was where is he? How does he end up? What are his needs? What are his wants? Does he want to continue to be alone? Or does he want someone in his life? That was the most fun part of, uh, of this. And um, I am very, very happy with how we ended up. Now, let's talk a lot about season two, which is still, I think we're now six or eight episodes in um, on week by week on Paramount+. Plus. A lot of movement in this one. Very different than season one. You guys shift back and forth in time. You literally are in Los Angeles 2022 at points. It felt like they took so many of the best elements of so many seasons of TNG and put them into one the way you guys used to move around. And you've got John back as Q, who we saw there, uh, mentioned. And of course, Whoopi is back too. Um, <laughs> what was that like for you? Because it felt like it was a, a whole different direction. That for season one set us all up, season two just took off. Yeah, uh, having John and of course Whoopi in the show and little by little, and I know now there's been an announcement that there will be the entire senior TNG cast. In, in, I mean, th that is public knowledge, isn't it? I have written about oh. it, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I... Shh, no, don't tell them! No. Um, so I'm with Gates and Marina and Jonathan and Brent and LaVar and Michael. Um, and those days have been wonderful. Um, I think it's hard for the directors because we fool about so much. And uh, it was always like that, you know. I mean, you've probably heard the famous thing that I said uh, during our first season <clears throat> when somebody said, Patrick, you know, we've got to have some fun because I was complaining about the disruption of the noise. And I said, we are not here to have fun. <laughs> and... Uh, that became a slogan throughout. And it was on T-shirts. Yeah, it was. And then in, in, uh, in this season, and I know this is very important to you in many ways. There's a lot of political elements that are addressed here. Um, I'm not going to give away spoilers for people who haven't seen every episode, but there's a very other Picard. We saw it briefly in that clip where there's an 
not even, as you put it, not an alternative, but a new reality that's being created of a very, very dark version of Starfleet and a very dark version of our world. But having said that, it really allowed you, I feel, I felt, to really like just play so many different ways of playing Picard that we hadn't seen in so long. What was that like for you? It was exciting. I Let me tell you what it was that made all the difference when I was being pitched to four years, five years ago. Um, it was when, I think it was uh, Alex who said, but here's the thing. Alex Kurtzman, who's the Alex executive producer Kurtzman, of Star yeah. Trek Picard. And all the Star Treks. Yeah, of all of them. He is Star Trek currently. And um, he said, it's over 30 years since you were last Jean-Luc Picard. Um, you've probably changed somewhat in that time, in those 30 years. Different opinions, different feelings, maybe even ways of working. Well, he said, maybe that's happened to Jean-Luc as well. So I was faced with a fascinating problem of, so if Jean-Luc Jean has lived elevated to an admiral, loses his job, goes back to the winery, um, what would he be? What would he be like? How would his life be? A man who was so engaged with life. Oh, you had to throw it in, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you're waiting. You're like, yeah, poo. Yeah. Um, so I was caught up by that. How do I, how do I be convincing that 25, 30 years have passed and this is not the same Jean-Luc that we all came to know and some of us to love. Um, a lot of us love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. But I have enjoyed um, it, it. Of course, we've all lived through two difficult years, more than two difficult now. Yeah. And, um, but in terms of the work that we've done, in even the 20 back-to-back -back episodes, were so satisfying. And because we were saying and doing things, and I think John Delancey has a line which almost echoes this, which referred to places that we had never been emotionally, intellectually before. And then because of the nightmare of the Ukraine situation, we have... Um, we, it, it was just beginning while we were still shooting and, and occasionally there were references that just brought us up to today with, with our reaction to um, how the world is run and how it could be run better. Uh, and I think, I think that was, uh, um, it was, what we did was very, very respectful and very sensitive, but uh, and there was some opposition to it, but I, I think it was a good thing to do. Yes. Well, that was great. It's always great to talk to Sir Pat, and it's always great to do this with you, Pete, and have hope you guys enjoy listening in on us. Thank you, I should always say, for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as I say every week, so you never miss an episode. And, of course, you can find all of our TV breaking news uh, coverage at Deadline.com. 
So as we head towards nominations being announced later this year, as Sir Patrick would say, or rather as John Luke would say, engage. Talk to you soon.